Can we just <clears throat> kind of uh, follow up on that just a little bit? You know, Chuck mentioned Jeff at the beginning and uh, losing his dad. And then this uh, song, you know, getting closer to the Lord and draw us near to him. You know, Jeff's a, a superhero to us. At least he is to me. And he's so strong. Uh, but this is a big deal. You know, losing your dad is a big deal. And um, so can we just, again, just take a moment and um, we'll be quiet for just a moment and pray. And then I'll close and then we'll move on to the sermon. Is that all right? Let's do that for just a moment. Father, we are so aware of Jeff as our pastor. He's everywhere. He's always there for us. And Lord, as he is now away, we ask that you would encourage his heart and that you would refresh him and strengthen him and rebuild him. And Lord, we are so grateful that we are able to observe his life and to see how committed he is to you and following you. And Father, we just ask that uh, as he goes through this season of loss, that you would encourage him and that you would encourage us by his portrait of obedience and faithfulness to you. And Father, we don't come in sadness because we come rejoicing with the prospects of the hope that is in you but, Lord, we ask that you would just encourage, encourage us all to follow the example and to do what we need to honor you with our lives. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that just moment. Um, <clears throat> uh, I went to a Christian college, and we had chapel every day, which I did not mind at all. I enjoyed it. We had some great speakers that would come and share, and uh, they were they were really very good. And so chapel was not a bad thing. It was, um, at least for me, I, I really enjoyed it. And with the uh, number of speakers, as you can imagine, you had uh, five days a week to fill. And so there were a number of different kinds of speakers that would come. Uh, they would have presidents of universities that would come, they would have pastors of mega churches that would come. Uh, they would also have professors in our own school that would speak in chapel. And so a great variety of speakers. And one time a guy came and he was, um, for lack of a better term, he was a rough cob. I mean, he was like he had come out of just kind of a rough background and he came. And I remember this illustration that he gave about obedience. And uh, the illustration went like this. This old farmer went into town and got married. And on the way back from just getting married, he and his bride are riding, and they've got a team of two donkeys pulling their, their uh, little carriage back to the farm. And as they are going along, one of the, the donkeys kind of veers over and, and takes a bite of grass, and the old farmer just kind of jerked on the reins to get the donkey back in line. So they're going along, and he says, that's one to the donkey. Then they're going along, and the little donkey kind of loses its track of where it's supposed to go and gets out of step with what's happening, and he pulls out his whip, and he whips it and cracks it once and says to the donkey, that's two. So finally they're riding along, and the little donkey turns and nips at the bigger, older donkey and kind of bites at him and things like that. 
and the farmer, without really thinking about it, reaches under his seat, pulls out a shotgun and racks a shell and shoots the donkey and says, that's three. He gets down out of his carriage and he pulls the donkey aside and reassembles it for one. Of course, the new bride is like, what in the world just happened? I mean, she's stunned. She can't believe this guy has just done this. And so, you know, she, she was just incredulous and she looks at her new husband and she says to him, she says, I can't believe you just shot the donkey. And he looks at her and says, that's one. <laughs> Have you heard this one before? And that was the obedience. You know, whatever is asked of you, you just do it. Don't question it. Well, this morning, I, I don't want that to be the case, but I do want us to understand that God has expectations for us that God wants us to do certain things. And he sets a standard for us, and then we should follow that standard. And he's very serious about it. Now, this morning, there are no shotguns that will come out. But hopefully, there will be reminders that come out that say, yes, we need to be more serious about what it is that God has for us. In Numbers chapter 22, we find out about our portrait. Our portrait this morning is of a guy named Balaam. Balaam. In Numbers chapter 22, chapter 23, and 24, we have this story of Balaam. Uh, that is a story that takes place over about a six-day period. And in Numbers chapter 22, beginning at verse 1, we read this. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Though Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Now this is the feeling in Moab. Balak is one who has observed and has seen what God has done for the people of Israel. And he dreads it. He's terrified by it. I love this one. As an ox lips up, licks up the grass of the field. He uses this analogy of something that devours something else. You see, what has happened is Israel has moved through the wilderness. Uh, they have come across uh, the Red Sea. Remember, defeating the mighty Egyptian army by crossing the Red Sea. Uh, they have also been fed miraculously by the manna from heaven. Uh, they have also gotten water from stones and things like that. Uh, there have been stories that have gone about this God of Israel who uh, sent snakes on his people in chapter 21, and then he erected a brass snake that allowed them to be healed. Uh, this God also delivered these people, Israel, from the Amorites who were a dreaded, fearsome fo force. And the Moabites are frightened by all of this. And so what Balak does is he says in verse 5, so Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the river in his native land. And Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. So Balak sends a message to Balaam, a Balaam who is a known prophet in that region, uh, they send a message to him to come and put a curse on this people. They are too fearsome, too great, 
too big, too strong for us. And so if you curse them, then we're going to be okay. Uh, He says that we need you to come and do this. Uh, Authors had several things to say about Balaam. Uh, Balaam's name literally means corrupter of people. Many of the, the authors that wrote about Balaam had this to say. One of them said they called him a numbskulled, money-grubbing prophet. That's what they called Balaam. Another called him the, the, the prophet for profit. It was all about the money. So this morning, this example that we have in the life of Balaam, this example that he sets for us is a bad example but hopefully we can learn some good lessons from it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask three questions based upon the life of Balaam and try to come to some conclusions about how we should be in light of the bad example that Balaam is. Uh, The first question is, what motivates you? What motivates you? In verse 6, he says, Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. And then it says, The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. You see that? They took money with them because they knew that they were going to have to pay Balaam. Uh, Balaam was in this for the money. They are taking a fee to him. Now, as you uh, read through this story and come to understand, there are several times where Balaam says, okay, I'm not going to go. Okay, I'm going to go. And in the story, as you read it, Balaam says things like, no, I don't want your money. No, you can give me all the treasures. Look at verse 18 uh, in chapter 22, verse 18. He says, but Balaam answered him, even if Balak gave me his palace Filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. So there are times where it looks like he's hesitating. But really what he's doing is he is making this kind of oblique demand for a larger payment. And the reason we know that is because of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter writes this about the false teachers comparing them. He says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bear, who loved the wages of wickedness. He loved the wages of wickedness. Uh, Peter does it very graphically. He says, There are those that have left the way. Uh, they have gone off the straight way, uh, the way of obedience. You see, Balaam was motivated by money, by profit. And then Peter tells us that there are going to be false prophets, false teachers, and they are going to be motivated by money as well. They have left the way because they have chosen to leave the, the way of God and go for the money. Uh, he, he describes it that, this way. He says, the wages of wickedness. They want money over obedience, money over faithfulness. It, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? What motivates you? Well, what motivated Balaam was money. He was in it for the money. Uh, Balaam had a plan. He was going to try to curse Israel. But God stopped him over and over, and we'll get into that more later. But eventually what he does is he decides, I can't curse them, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to trick them. And so what he told Balak to do was to have the women of Moab seduce the men of Israel, marry them, 
And then once they won their hearts, they would then lead them into idolatry. And this mixture of uh, Moabites and Israelites would lead to bringing down Israel, which was the case. It did happen. But Balaam is in this for the money. This morning, what motivates you? If you are any kind of a sports fan and follow basketball at all, you remember the NBA Finals with uh, this guy named Kevin Durant. Remember him? He was driven, he was motivated uh, by trying to make sure that people understood that he didn't just latch on to a team to win a championship, but he was going to lead that team to a championship. So he was motivated, he was driven by this success. I'm going to succeed because I want to prove everybody wrong. You think of athletes, what drives them, what motivates them. say, well, I'm not an athlete. Well, what motivates you then? What motivates you to do what you're doing? Are you doing it because I want to get the brass ring? I want to reach this level of achievement so that everyone looks up to me and kind of awe of what I've done and what I've accomplished. I'm driven. I'm motivated, just like Balaam, to make more money. What motivates you this morning? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, um, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. See, Balaam had missed that. Remember, the purpose of a prophet was to deliver the message of God. He was to be a spokesperson and to tell people what it is that God wanted them to know. Remember Jonah? Jonah was motivated by, by kind of this pride. Jonah was motivated by almost a a, a racism against the people of Nineveh. They don't deserve the message of God, so he ran. It wasn't until he had gone into the belly of the whale and had his heart changed that he decided that I'm going to be motivated by doing what it is that God wants me to do. I'm going to put the message of God in the forefront. And when he put the message of God in the forefront, the people of Nineveh repented and changed. This morning, what motivates you? We should be motivated to do all to the glory of God. You say, well, what does that even mean, to do all to the glory of God? Well, when something's your glory, you're just putting it on display, right? So what you're doing is you live your life to put God on display. You say, well, you know, what am I supposed to be all-knowing, all-present? And Well, yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to be the one that has the answers. You're supposed to be the one that has what you need to deliver to those around you, to put God on display, to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his patience, to show his long-suffering. Putting God on display, that's what drives me. That's what motivates me. This morning, this bad example of Balaam is that he was motivated by money, which was a failure. Balaam was in it to curse Israel. God stopped him. But he was able to work this plan of of getting underneath and sneaking in the Moabite women and causing the people of Israel to sin. And he got a big payoff for it. Balak delivered in a big way what he needed financially. So the first question is, what motivates you this morning? The second question is, are you sensitive to God's message? Are you sensitive to God's message? Uh, Look in chapter 22, beginning at verse 21. In chapter 22, verse 21, it says, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him, and his two servants were uh, with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. 
Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the two vineyards with the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Are you sensitive to God's message? Verses 21 and following, uh, chapter 22, you see that God was angry. I think the reason God was angry is because he knew that Balaam's heart was corrupt. Balaam's heart was in it for the money. And three times this donkey does what is reasonable and indicative, almost intuitive, when you see an angel with a drawn sword. What do you do? You back down. Balaam missed it completely. Balaam did not see that God was involved. There was this donkey who got the message. God wants to say something to you, Balaam. Let's stop. And Balaam missed it completely. Are you sensitive to God's message? Look at the conversation in verse 28. Uh, It says, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? That's the donkey talking. In verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey. Does that not seem crazy to you? Now, I know some of you are sitting here and saying, listen, I grew up on Mr. Ed, so this doesn't surprise me at all, right? <laughs> you remember Mr. Ed reruns, right? And you're saying, well, a talking, talking donkey? Well, of course, I had a talking horse. Or Francis, wasn't there a Francis the talking mule? Remember those movies? I'm not surprised by this. Neither is Balaam. To me, the reaction should be, what? What are you talking And the reason why there should be surprise is because Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. (laughs) The donkey says, listen, we've been together for a long time. We've been traveling together for years. Have I ever acted this way before? And Balaam goes, no. He still hasn't figured it out. There's something going on here. He is missing completely that God has a message for him. Instead of going, whoa, wait a minute. Do you have something for me, God? Is something going on here? Instead, no, you've never acted like this before. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. About time, right? About time. Three times. And Balaam failed to respond. Three different occasions where this donkey understood what was happening and Balaam missed it completely. Uh, Balaam, aren't you a prophet of God? Isn't this what you are able to figure out and, and, and lock into? The reality that God is, is going to speak? Because look at this marvelous act that has just happened. He's missed it completely. And I think in light of what we know about Balaam and Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15, he's blinded by the, the money, by the payoff, by the golden ticket that will be his if he can figure out how to circumvent the will of God and curse this people of Israel. He's blinded. He is unable to see what it is that God wants him to do because of the prophet 
that is dinging in his mind. I'm going to make a killing. The donkey moves one direction. If I can just figure this out, everything's going to be okay, and I will make a killing. The donkey goes another direction. And he begins to beat. This morning, are you sensitive to God's message? Balaam was blinded by the prophet. Sometimes the reason we're not sensitive to God's message is because we're blinded by the past. Something has happened in our past, and we are blinded by that. And so we don't see that God has mercifully, lovingly reached out to us to give us the gift of eternal life because of something that has happened in our past. Or perhaps we are not sensitive to the message that God has for us because of the present. We're involved in something we shouldn't be. In Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 17, uh, Balaam is referred to again. And in the church of Pergamon, Pergamon there was a, a group that were following Balaam. And Balaam had created a stumbling block to them. And they were involved in idolatry and immoral living. And the idea of a stumbling block is just that. They were just stumbling It's not like they had dove headfirst into it. And some of us this morning, we are not able to ascertain and understand the message of God because of the present and what we're involved in. We're we're not doing anything bad, but we're not doing what allows our eyes to be opened to the marvelous privileges that God gives to those that trust in Him. Or perhaps this morning, you are unable to be sensitive to God's message because of the future. You're just looking ahead too much. You're just thinking beyond the moment that God might have something for you. Uh, the song, Jen, in the song, Jen talked about, there are some of you this morning that perhaps have never heard of this thing, this love, this unconditional love that God offers. And then there are others of you that have heard of it and are are looking beyond that instead of embracing and allowing the love to draw you close to him. What motivates you this morning? Are you sensitive to God's message? The final question that we will ask this morning as we look at the life of Balaam is, if God used Balaam's donkey, why don't you think he can use you? If God used Balaam's donkey, why don't you think he can use you? I've been in ministry for most of my life. Uh, when I was in college, I, uh, we were with a group, and uh, they, we were involved in uh, gospel missions. We went and spoke at gospel missions. And I had a friend that always reminded me, if God can use Balaam's donkey, he can use you. <laughs> If that's true, why don't you believe it? One of the great things, and I I said this to Andy uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we showed the video about Vacation Bible School, and they said the number of kids, and then they said the number of volunteers. You know, I I don't remember the number, but it was almost a a two-to-one ratio with students to, to leaders. Just incredible. The volunteerism, that's not what I'm talking about here. 
we're good at volunteerism. What I'm talking about is realizing that God can use you with your mate, with your child, with your coworker, with your fellow students. I, I, I sometimes speak in chapel at the school where I teach, and I give my students a hard time because they are so great at service hours. You know, at the end of the year, we have a chapel, hundreds of thousands of service hours. But you, you, you see them walk past a freshman, they, they'll boot them down the hallway, right? Same guy that's able to cradle 14 kids in Mexico, doesn't have two minutes for a freshman. You see, that's what we're talking about. God's saying, you know what? I want to use you right now. Balaam, as a spokesperson, doesn't prove that he was a good man. That's not the point. But the point is that God can use anything, anyone, in any way. The donkey was dull and obstinate, right? When we think of donkeys, that's what donkeys are. And God used him to deliver a message to Balaam. Think of what God has done. He, he has uh, taken a, a variety of different things. Remember Moses? He said to Moses, he says, what's in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. And when Moses gave God the staff, he became the leader of Israel, right? Uh, think about uh, Jesus himself. Uh, remember, uh, he got down and spit in the dirt and made clay and put it over eyes that became able to see. God using people that aren't necessarily the ones we, we like. For example, King Saul. Remember King Saul? King Saul was told, you are done. David is going to be the next king. But yet God used Saul in spite of himself. The disciples. How many times do we read in the New Testament where the disciples say, hey, we've run into people that are casting out demons. <laughs> there are people that are capable of doing certain things. But what God is asking you to be reminded of is that it's you that he wants. It's you that he wants to, to use in your circumstance, in your situation. Think about David. One of our, our, my favorite Bible stories is, is David and Goliath. Saul says to David, here, put on my armor. And David becomes overwhelmed by the armor of Saul and says, I don't think this is going to work. And he peels off the armor and he walks out and he picks up five stones and puts them in his shepherd's pouch and uses one of those five to bring down Goliath. You see, God uses the, the things that seem so small and insignificant to us. What about Andrew? Remember, the, the, the disciples and Jesus were out and it was getting late. And Andrew brings this little boy up to Jesus. And he says, well, he's got loaves, barley loaves and fishes. I don't think that's going to be enough. <laughs> and God said, it'll be fine. And Jesus distributes and feeds thousands with something so seemingly insignificant. This morning, please do not think of yourself in any other way but a person that is yielded to do what it is that God wants you to do in the moment, in the place where you are. Uh, think about Abraham. Remember Abraham? He was old. He still had Isaac. Uh, remember Jacob? He was a cheater. Joseph? He's abused. Uh, these people were used by God. Remember Job? Job went completely bankrupt and lost everything, and God used him. What about Gideon? Where was Gideon when God called him? Well, he was threshing wheat. 
in a cellar (laughs) because he was afraid. And God used him. Remember Naomi? She came back. And she said, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. God used her to bring Ruth and Boaz together to create the lineage for the son, Jesus Christ, to be born. Peter denied Christ three times. There are multiple examples. Remember Zacchaeus? What was Zacchaeus' problem? He was short and he loved money. The bigger problem was he loved money. And then he yielded to Jesus Christ and it changed everything. Why, if God used Balaam's donkey, why don't you think he can use you? Jeff told a story one, one Sunday about a guy named Ed Kimball. You remember Ed Kimball? Ed Kimball was a shoe salesman, and he had a, a protege that he was mentoring in shoe sales. And he said to this shoe sales kind of apprentice, he says, you know what? Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. And Ed Kimball's apprentice was Dwight L. Moody. You've heard of Dwight L. Moody. On that Sunday when I was leaving, Jeff hugged me and he said, how great is that story? I said, yeah, that's a great story. And he goes, what about Billy Graham? He says, I wonder who led Billy Graham to Christ. Well, Google, here I come, right? The guy that led Billy Graham to Christ was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. Now, here's the thing about Mordecai Ham. Uh, The night that Billy Graham got saved, he and his friend came to the revival service and they sat in the choir loft because Mordecai Ham had a tendency to point people out and say, I think you're sinning. (laughs) And Billy Graham, I didn't want that. 1934, probably, 1935. So he sat in the choir thinking, well, he's not going to get to us. He got to them. Billy Graham said that he felt like the entire sermon was directed to him and that Mordecai Ham was speaking directly to him. And Billy Graham left that service. Uh, He came in and Babe Ruth was his hero and he left and Jesus Christ was his hero. But let me tell you something about Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was a racist. He was a a anti-Semite. He hated Jews and he would oftentimes preach about it. And God used that guy to bring Billy Graham to Christ and change so many lives. You see, this morning, if God used Balaam's donkey, he can use you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the goodness that comes from you. Father, you are a good God who loves us and cares for us. And Father, in this example of Balaam, Uh, We have seen some bad things. But Lord, help us to learn the good lessons and that we will be motivated to glorify you and that we will be sensitive to your message and that we'll be willing to serve and to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.